All right, Justin, like I said, he's out of town with the family, uh, so we're uh, going to, uh, uh-oh, uh-oh, there we go, Oh, <laughs> yeah, exactly, right, <laughs> just, yeah, I think we all feel for life. I woke up this morning and it felt like that. I was like, so I feel you. But um, it's good to see all you guys here. And uh, you're, everybody keeps saying, man, it's packed out. We just tricked you and we just have less rows out. So you're like forced to sit closer together. The psychology of it worked, though, didn't it? You're like, man, there's a thousand people here. That's the same amount. Just squished. That's all. But uh, go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 12 with me, please, if you'd like. Or open your phone or your tablet. Romans chapter 12, and um, we've been speaking about over the last, or Justin has been speaking about over the last couple of weeks about spiritual gifts, and I asked him when he wanted me to preach while he's out of town, I said, what do you want me to do? He said, well, if you can continue on in that vein, do so, but uh, he always tells me I can do whatever I want, uh, which is dangerous, but he still tells me, and, but nonetheless, uh, we're going to keep on with this idea of spiritual gifts through the New Testament here in Romans chapter number 12, often when you think of spiritual gifts, you think of 1 Corinthians, and rightfully so, uh, because that's where there is a large amount of time uh, and effort given to what spiritual gifts are, what they are not, uh, how they function, how they do not function. Uh, another section that actually talks about spiritual gifts are here in Romans chapter number 12. And I'm not going to get into the minutia of explaining all the different gifts. Uh, Justin has got some of that planned, so uh, he's going to take the football and run with that one. Uh, but what I want to talk to you about this morning is the uniqueness of your spiritual gift and why it's so important, all right? Um, <clears throat> I, the more I look at the New Testament, the more and more I look at the New Testament, the more and more I'm convinced that the, everything that we have uh, is wrapped up in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, often what we tend to do is we tend to think about the gospel as like this jumping off point, and then we move into these deeper areas of the Christian life later on. Uh, and certainly there's spiritual growth. I don't want to minimize spiritual growth. I don't want to minimize maturity. I don't want to say none of those. I don't want to give the idea that any of those things aren't legitimate because they are, and they're very real. But it's not like we're looking outside of the sphere of the death, burial, resurrection, of who Jesus Christ is and what he has accomplished as a result of that. We're not reaching outside of that. Uh, what we're doing is we're unpacking what's already there, that we, we are learning that we've been giving all, given all things that pertain unto life, this current time and godliness, our current character, as well as this idea of spiritual gifts. They're not disassociated with the gospel. Uh, and my philosophy on it is this is that the more the gospel is promoted, the more, the, the more liberty the Spirit of God has to work because we're promoting the thing that he promotes. We're, we're holding up. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I even, he said, if I be lifted up, I even I will draw all men unto myself. So it's not my job, nor is it your job, to really try to... We, we fall into that trap when it comes to this idea of spiritual gifts and church that we think that we're going to have this kaboom type thing and everybody's going to come running when Jesus says, if you lift me up, I am going, this is the thing, I'm going to do the work and I am going to draw people to myself. Uh, for years of my life, I felt like it was my job to draw people to Jesus. That's not my job. My job is just to tell you who he is and talk about who he is, promote who he is. And Jesus is a competent savior. He is able to draw all men to himself. 
And uh, here in Romans chapter number 12, he, and one way he does that, he does that by manifesting his spiritual identity in us and through us to those around us. So when spiritual gifts are demonstrated, they are not going to detract from who Jesus is. They're going to elevate who Jesus is. When you and I come into the spiritual gifts in whatever, whatever function or form or gifting that is, at the end of that day, God is going to be working the gospel through that, that other people might see the finished work and they might see the nature and character of God. Um, let's read the text and pray because I don't want to monologue all through this. I'd rather get into the text. That'll be safe. Uh, let's see here. Romans chapter 12. Uh, I'm reading now the New King James. You probably already know that by now, but I say it every time. All right, so verse number 3 is where we're going to start. We're going to read down to verse number 8, though we're only going to be talking about verses 3 through 6, okay? So just to kind of give you, I, I like context, you know? I hate reading a verse and then just going with that one verse. You kind of get danger, you get in a danger zone with that. So I like to like get that whole block of what we're talking about. And he says in verse 3, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, and I love this phrase, I underlined it again this morning, as God has dealt to every man a measure of faith. Now that is an amazing statement. Because so often we are the ones that feel like we have got to make our faith something. When it's God that is giving, that's the very nature of grace. God is giving, we are receiving. So he God has dealt to every, uh, each of us a measure of faith, verse 4, for as we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members, and this, is a, that is a, this phrase right here, I wish the world could grasp this phrase because they're desperately attempting to have this phrase right here played out and they are doing nothing but murdering each other literally over it. Because what it says there that, and we are individually members of one another. You know why I say that? You look at the news cycle right now. Just think about last summer. People were burning down buildings because they don't know how to be among one another. They don't know how to be individual members of one another. There's a demand and an unjust demand for, for inclusivity and acceptance that the gospel gives everyone in Jesus Christ. And the world's out there just clamoring and crawling all over themselves like ants to get what the Bible's saying right here. And they can't have it. You know why? Because it, is, it only comes by grace. It doesn't, the kingdom of God doesn't come by force, is what Jesus said. Sorry, that's a whole other sermon. In verse number 5, he says, So we be many, and I read that, are one body in Christ, and individually <clears throat> members of one another, having then gifts differing according... I love this phrase, man. Having gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Let us use them. And then he goes on and he lists prophecy. He says, uh, If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith or ministry. Let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, uh, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality. Man, there we go. That's the unspoken of spiritual gift right there. That is like, that's the unicorn of spiritual gifts is giving money. <laughs> he who leads with diligence and he who shows mercy uh, with cheerfulness. 
So this morning, basically what I want us to talk about is this. I want us to see that each of us individually make up the body, Christ, the body of Christ as a whole, yet we each have been given a unique function based on our identity in Christ. All right, it is important to go back to Christ every time you think about a spiritual gift because it is the Spirit of Christ in you and I that manifests those gifts, gives us those gifts, and we operate in those gifts by grace. We're not operating in those gifts by merit, you see. And that is very evident when you get over to the book of 1 Corinthians because we see this, that church was an incredibly gifted church, right? People are also dropping dead from eating the Lord's Supper. They're also fornicating with family members. But see, because the gifts come by grace. They don't come by your merits. They don't come by our merits. And, and Paul is addressing these things because he knows that there is a danger when it comes to these things because what we'll do is, if inadvertently at times, <clears throat> we'll step in and we'll say, well, my gift is X and John's gift is Y. And I really just don't feel like the Y gift is quite as good as the X gift. And don't even get me started on Z gift over there because Z gift is like they're never around, you know. What's going on with them? And if we're not careful, we begin to, we begin to categorize ourselves in those things. And uh, which was one of the, which is what I would consider the Corinthian catastrophe. That they begin to marginalize one another because suddenly the focus was on a, a, now get this, a gift that they were displaying that they didn't even get of their own accord. You know, it's like a 16-year-old kid bragging about the car his dad bought him. You know, there's some of y'all in here like that right now. You're trying, yeah, I see you. Yeah, I know who you are. He's back there grinning. I got you. I feel you. We'll talk after the service about it. But, <laughs> I mean, you do wash it, so there's something to be said for that, right? No, there's no, dude, don't feel guilty. It's okay. It's okay. It's all right. We still love you, all right? My dad, I bought my own first car. Anyways, <laughs> trust me, you got the better end of the deal than I did. 78 Buick LeSabre, you remember that, Ben? It was hideous. Anyways, you know, we live in a time, as I said before, and I don't want to get too far off base on this, but where people are demanding that their abilities and their accept their their identities and their abilities are accepted by everyone at somebody else's expense. That's, that's the world we live in right now. I am this person. You will accept me as I am, even if it costs you something. Matter of fact, I want it to cost you something because the more it costs you to accept me, the better I'm going to feel about myself. That's the world's philosophy of this mentality. The church, we don't, ha we, we don't have the... I don't even want to say the luxury. We don't even have, that's not even an option on the, on the card for you and I. Because everything that we experience is by grace. Everything. Everything. <clears throat> and so, this morning I want to show that you as an individual are an important and vital part of the church. And that Christ will uniquely express himself through each of us as we accept and respond to his work of grace. He works, we receive, action happens. That's the way. They, but he's the initiator. Understand that. He's the one that's coming after all this on our behalf because it's out of our reach. If it was, a, if it was just a gift that you could learn, you could just take the word spiritual off the front of it and just call it a gift. 
I have certain just gifts that are natural to my personality, believe it or not, uh, but they usually end up getting me in trouble because they're not spiritual, and I do consider sarcasm a spiritual gift. <laughs> it's not in the scripture. Well, it is, but you have to have had lots of training in Greek and Hebrew to see it, but it's there, I promise you. Definitely of a private interpretation. All right, so let's get into this. Number one, and verse number three, I want to see the necessity of individual humility. If we're going to have individual gifts that are uniquely expressed through us, there is going to be a necessity of individual humility. All right? In verse number three, he says, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself uh, more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. But to think soberly. Um, as we were talking about the Corinthian church, this is literally, I mean, this verse, what he's talking about here in verse number three, was the exact thing that caused so many problems in the Corinthian church. The exact thing. So much so that Paul ended up writing to them and saying, we dare not make ourselves of a number or make ourselves of a class, is what he's saying. Nor do we compare ourselves with those that turn around and commend themselves. It'd be like me giving Angela an award and then somebody else giving themselves an award and then comparing their award to Angela's award that I gave them. And you're like, wait a minute, we're in the first grade? What is going on around here? You know what I mean? And Paul says, listen, stop comparing yourselves, stop classifying yourselves among one another. That was the issue. It was so bad that when they came to the Lord's table... A time when, and, and even here in our particular gathering, we try to be very purposeful about it because we want everybody to be together. That's what we want because that's the goal, is the, to, to, the togetherness of Christ, the togetherness of the gospel. But they would show up, and one person would show up with tons of food, and they would just set it up and eat. And then these poor people would come into the church, and nobody would offer them a thing. They would just sit over there by themselves. Another group would come in and eat, and they just have their own Lord's Supper celebration while everybody else is standing there looking. And, and Paul says, what, do you not have houses you can eat and drink in? You can do this at home. If you have a picnic, go do it on a hillside somewhere. This is not a picnic. This is about the church coming together. And so this idea that he gives in verse 3, because he knows when the spiritual gifts rise and we, we sense the Spirit of God moving in us and we see things happening that we could never, ever conjure up ourselves, there is an inherent danger that we deal with in our mind, and it's this, that I'm somebody special. Recently, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I found this video astounding. I watched it a bunch of different times, showed it to Ben and Angela. <clears throat> regardless of what you think about uh, this scenario, nonetheless, what, how the person handled it struck me as interesting. Uh, I don't know if you've ever got, you guys ever heard of a guy named John MacArthur. <laughs> he may have. He pastors a church in Southern California. Well, he believes in, real quick, this is commercial because it's going to make the story sound better or make it make more sense. Uh, he, in his take on spiritual gifts, he believes that they have ceased, that they're no more, longer operable. And he's welcome to think that, you know. Um, that's fine. He believes that. He actually wrote a book about it, had a big conference about it, all kinds of stuff, and caught a lot of attention about five, six, seven years ago over it. Now, he didn't do it for the attention. It just garnered a lot of attention. So nonetheless, in the midst of this, he had after all that had come about, he took a sabbatical and came back to his church. When he came back to his church, he was standing up, uh, giving the announcements or whatever the case may be, and then runs this guy. He sounded like he was Irish or, British or, not, or, or Scottish or something, regardless of what he was going to say. It sounded cool, you know, so, 
So he runs up on the stage right in the middle of their church service and just starts rebuking John MacArthur over this, what he felt like was a heresy. Okay, fine, whatever. But the whole premise of his rebuttal to John MacArthur in this open setting was this. You don't believe that they're prophets, and here's one looking at you now. And I thought that was interesting. You know why? His whole reason for rebuking this guy, because he felt like he was coming after his spiritual gift. So he was going to make sure that everybody knew what his gift was, and he was going to rebuke everybody on the basis of it. I'm a prophet. How dare you say there are no prophets? Well, the fact of the matter is this, is if you're a prophet and somebody else doesn't believe they're a prophet, who cares? Your spiritual gift's not about proving a point. Your spiritual gift is about edifying the body of Christ. That's what it's about. And so when we come to these scenarios, when I just remember, it's like at, at first you think, oh, wow, this guy's really going Old Testament here. You know what I mean? He's like you know, going full Elijah on this guy. But at, upon closer inspection, the premise of why he said what he said comes to the surface, doesn't it? And it always does. And that's why Paul writes here that when we come into these things, number one, you have to think soberly minded. You have to be clear. You have to understand that it's not a value game. It's not a worth game. It's an edification, a ministry of edification. Now, the word soberly, um, after I kind of looked at a number of definitions, I kind of came up with my own, hopefully not trying to redefine the word, but kind of maybe give a different look at it. Uh, the word soberly here that we should think soberly, is, we could say it this way, is a spirit-led way of thinking free of any negative outside influences. Or we could say free of any, any fleshly influences. So when we come to this in verse number three, he says, listen, to everyone that's among you, everybody, that means from the pastor down. And I could say that because I know Justin would have no problem with hearing me say that. He would amen it very wholeheartedly. As a matter of fact, his sermon last week would indicate that, I think. Why is it so important to think? Act, now, now, get this. When we talk about this thinking, he's not think, talking about the way that you and I think about ourselves. He's talking about the way you and I think about other people. That's what he's talking about here. Why is that so important? Well, it's so important because you will eventually, but not initially, act on what you think. You will eventually, but not initially, act on what you think. What that means is when you think on it long enough, long enough, and you allow the thought to be there long enough, long enough, you are going to eventually take action on that. And when we judge our brothers in our minds, and there's, there's a huge difference between dealing with a problem or an issue or a relational breakdown and judging somebody else in your mind. There's a huge difference in those two. You know why? Because one of them looks at the issue, doesn't ignore it, and goes to the person in love. It almost sounds like Jesus brought that up before. In Matthew chapter 18. So you got a problem with a brother? Go to him. If he won't hear you, take somebody else with you. If this is an out-of-control matter, bring it before the church. Get everybody involved to talk about it then. Why is it so important? Because when we sit enthroned as a sovereign judge in our minds over another person, it is only a matter of time before we put down the gavel and we pick up a sword and we become the executioner as well. Because we'll tell ourselves, it's, I've had enough of uh, assessing the problem. Now I'm going to execute the problem. And if you've been in church for any amount of time, you've seen that. You've seen things bubble to the surface. 
and then the executioner hoods come out. And, the, you know, so figuratively, not on purpose, if you went to a church and there was a literal executioner walked in, leave immediately, all right? <laughs> I mean, run. <clears throat> Just as we're not to think too highly of others, we're not to think too lowly of others, we're to think what God says about others, particularly in this realm of the spiritual gift. The cause of this proper thinking is brought up in verse number 3 when he says this. He says, the grace that is given to me. When we see everything that we have in Christ as a gift, what it does is it takes away the judgment. Because who am I to judge another man's servant? Who am I to even look at God, according to Romans chapter 9, to look at him and say, why have you made me so? I don't even have that right. I have no right. Because when we come to Christ, whether we know it or not, we've given up rights. And we've given up the options and we've submitted ourselves to someone that knows more about us than we do and knows more about how our things operate than we do and knows exactly what it is that we need. <clears throat> uh, Philippians chapter 2 talks about this way of thinking in reference to who Christ is. When he says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking upon himself the form of a servant, and came in the likeness of men. You see, Jesus understood grace because he is grace. And when Jesus stepped on the earth, I think that speaking for myself, I don't think I totally, well, let me back that up. I know I don't totally comprehend just exactly what that really, deep down in the inward parts of my soul, what really was taking place there. When Jesus Christ graced the earth in a man's body for you and I, not just to take away sin, though that was huge, not just to redeem, so that was massive, not all these things, I shouldn't say it that way, but to do all of these things in one composite gift called the gospel. And he says, I'm going to sprinkle spiritual gifts over that. I'm going, to, I'm going to literally have my life flow right into you and right out of you and it's going to affect everybody that you come into contact with. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 16. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has instructed him? But we have the mind of Christ. So that's a gift in itself. You don't get the mind of Christ by going to seminary. Matter of fact, you'll probably get a lot of other things other than the mind of Christ. <laughs> Been there, done that. Have the dysfunction. So... <clears throat> he concludes this thought pattern up and he says, as God, I love this phrase, as God has dealt to everyone a measure of faith. Now, this is not saying that one person has more faith or less faith than another. All right? This whole measurement of faith business gets us into trouble sometimes, does it not? Because we see there are people of great faith and then we just see people that are like ordinary, regular faith, I guess. You know, low-octane faith or something, I don't know. This faith that he's talking about here, it, it, it may let me just read what I wrote down make sure I'm clear. Uh, it may seem as if God is saying that we can all uh, believe to varying degrees. But what's really being said here is that we each have faith for a specific role and function within the body of Christ. Just for example, some of you might think to yourself, there's no way in the world I could, I could be a pastor. I just don't think I could do it. 
You know, I don't think, I, I don't want to, really, in essence, this is really just like a min, minute part of pastoring a church, really. You only do this for like maybe two hours a week. The rest of it is what pastoring is all about. We think to ourselves, well, I couldn't pastor a church. I wouldn't know how to handle people. But there are other people who just seem like or deal with people or work with people or however you want to put it. Sounded really negative the way I said it. But uh, <clears throat> I wouldn't know how to do that. But there are other people who just seem like, boom, it's just like their thing. You know what I'm saying? And we think to ourselves, well, that's the one to aspire to. Wrong. That is not the one to aspire to. The gift and or gifts that you have are the ones you aspire to. And you're, you're focused in on that. You know why? Because when you're focused in on Christ, you're going to be focused in on those gifts that you have. And they're going to be natural. They're not going to seem forced. Now, should we earnestly desire? Certainly. Paul said to do that. But at the end of the day, it is the measure of the gift of the grace of God that gives out the gifts of the Spirit severally as he wills, according to what the New Testament tells us. So it's not like God's saying, believe harder and you'll get more. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, is he's, he's saying the ones that you have, he's, he's saying take hold of those. And in faith, walk in those. Not thinking that it's up to your merits to get it accomplished, but knowing that it's up to the grace of God to see it through. Take hold of them. Verse number four. I've got to hurry up. <clears throat> Verse number four. When we come into spiritual gifts, another thing I want us to consider is this. The reality of spiritual diversity. You know, I love the New Testament. Man, the New Testament is so good. I wish the world would just open it and read it for what it is. I just wish they would. All this fighting, all this just absolute chaoticness from gender confusion all the way down to political makeup would be straightened out by what the New Testament says. And not the, that the New Testament speaks to systems, but it speaks to individuals in such a way that the systems that man operate in would then run much smoother. That's why God speaks as in one way of the kingdom of God. All right? Because he is the one that governs that. That's why it operates properly. Anyways, you're trying to get me off. I see it. You're trying to get me sidetracked. I'm not going to be sidetracked. Verse 4. Refocus. He says, for <clears throat> as we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function. I pastored a church for about six and a half years or so-ish, somewhere along. It was a blur. And I can't tell you how many times I've had people come to me and backhandedly say something as to like they're the only one doing something. Man, I would, I, if I would have kept a list, it'd be ridiculous. So many times, well, you know, Pastor, I feel like, you know, it's all, we're doing all this stuff. And they're not saying it this way, but they're saying it this way. You know, that's why I've always thought to myself, and you've heard me say it a hundred times, so here's 101. What you imply usually carries more weight than what you actually say. And so they come and they imply that, like, the whole thing's on their shoulders for some reason. You know what I mean? And you know what? I think they actually genuinely feel that way. It's incorrect, but they actually feel that way. See, what well, we have to understand that in the body, there's not one person that's carrying this thing. If there's one person that's carrying this thing, that's what you call the cult of personality. 
You know, we have, it's wrapped around this, this person. And, oh, that's what it's all about. That's why we have this rise of celebrity pastorism in America where everybody is just obsessed with this guy that he's got this perfectly sized medium shirt on. <laughs> all his illustrations revolve around what went down at the gym last week. You know, as I was lifting 40 pounds, the Lord spoke to my heart as my chest ripped out of this extra. Anyways. <laughs> now, you know, I mock some of it, and I probably shouldn't, so forgive me. But nonetheless, you know what I'm talking about. Or the rise of the ultra-holy celebrity pastor who, who, ele- who, who elevates himself in a pulpit as he walks up a spiral staircase and opens a family Bible, boom, and reads it in some language that you've never even heard. You know, and takes the theological positions with isms and schisms and flisms at the end of it. You don't even know what they are. And we elevate them and we say, we build the church around that. And you know what happens? The minute that moves on, or that minute that somebody looks at his checkbook, or the minute somebody screenshots his Twitter account, I said that wrong purpose. Hashtag boomer. And, uh, or we look at these things, we see the celebrity. I mean, how, just recently in the news, we've already heard of it. Crash and burn. Are we happy? Do we rejoice in it? No. But there is a philosophy behind it that one person carries a ministry, and it is not true. In this church, Justin Benoit is not the beginning and end of this church. I'm not. None of the elders are. There is many members within that body. And often we'll go to a church and we'll get... Boy, you got me on a soapbox this morning, folks. I don't know what you did to me, but you did it. We'll go to a church and we'll determine the validity, the viability, the spiritual health, the atmosphere of the entire church based on one man. Tell me we don't do it. I didn't really like him. Well, he may not like you. You just don't know. (laughs) Never mind, I better stop. <laughs> Verse 4 is, we have many members, we're one body, and but whole members do not have the same function. The gift and the, the place that you have within the body cannot be filled by anybody else other than you. You. That, you know, it shows, it's like, you know, <laughs> people talk about like your appendix, you know. They're like, oh, I had my appendix taken out. Oh, you don't need it. Really? You don't need it? Because... It was there on purpose for some reason, and you just take that thing out and throw it away? I mean, I'm not interested in doing that with my, the, my pinky nail, much less an internal organ, you know. Turns out your appendix is important. It's a part of your immune system, you know. But we, just, we see people like that sometimes. The appendix, we're like, I would snip that off. They're gone. Not, not a big deal, you know. Just toss it over there. We can get by. We got several other appendices Appendices, and we don't want to vote. Our appendices. I was giving you English, guys. A moment, a minute. You took. To, I heard it come at me from all that volley it in there. <laughs> I accept your rebuke, and probably will forget it. <laughs> so there is a unique diversity within the church. First Corinthians twelve and verse eighteen and nineteen. But now God has set forth the members, each one in the body. Man, this is good stuff. Just as it pleased him. Him. Not me. Him. 
He is the one that, that garners, you say, why would God garner pleasure out of that? Because he is seeing his life manifested in the church in a certain way. And he did it that way on purpose. On purpose. It just wasn't willy-nilly like Johnny Appleseed where he just reaches in a bag of spiritual gifts and throws it out there and just says, let's see where it lands. No, he did it on purpose. And if they were, and he says this, if they were all one member, where would the body be? We'd be in a mess. We'd be a giant eyeball, all right? Or heavens forbid, just a big, huge toe, you know what I mean? Or something like that. And it'd be weird. In verse 5, he says, so we being many are one body in Christ. Not in denomination, not in the pastor, not in the the." the constitution of the legal organization, but we're one body in Christ. And individually members of one another. The man, in Christ, Christ is literally, and this sounds so cliche, but everything about who he is and what he has set up, it just amazes me of how much he is just the answer to everything that is burning the world to the ground. I mean, the world wants this right here, but it's only available in Christ. The, the, the value of the individual life is wrapped up in the death and resurrection of the individual God-man. And so right here, he says that within that body, he says that there are many individuals, but we're all of one another. You know what that tells me? You can't separate. You know, here's the thing. I know that God moves people from churches. I get it, and I'm totally okay with it. It took me a long time to accept that when I was a pastor because I took it personally. You know, people would be like, hey, I think the Lord wants us to go over here, and I'm, like, flipping back through my sermon notes trying to reevaluate how I failed for the last five years. You know what I mean? But here's the, ma- here's the fact of the matter, that God puts you in th- this. Again, you're like, well, I've heard this before. You're trying to talk us into X, Y, and Z. I'm not trying to talk you into anything. What I'm telling you is this, based on the uniqueness of your spiritual gift and individualism as a Christian within the body of Christ and the diversity that's found in the body of Christ, you are where you're at for a reason. There is a reason for it. And don't discount that reason out of nowhere just because you see this problem here or this problem there. You say, Pastor Buddy, you're just saying that because you know there's stuff going on here. No, I have no clue why I'm saying that to you right now. I'm done with putting out fires on a platform. I don't do that anymore. I used to do it. And as the pastor, trust me, it's easy. There's all kinds of fuel for the sermons out there, trust me. But you know what ends up happening? You use that to try to help people, and you actually end up hurting people because you beat them up with the things that they're struggling with rather than helping them through it by the Word of God. Anyway, that's a whole other sermon. All right, let's finish this up in verse 6. Because Bill and Renee are back there. And I know your kid's great and all. But have you tried to entertain them for 45 minutes straight sometimes? (laughs) Last week, I just resorted to juggling. I had nothing left. I I was like, look, I'm just going to juggle, kids. And the funny thing is, is they're more entertained when you fail juggling than when you succeed. Like, if you do it, they're like, yeah, yeah, you dropped the ball. He's an idiot. He can't do that, you know. I'm like, no quiet seat prize for you. All right, so, number three, in verse number six, I want us to see this. The responsibility of spiritual activity, and it rhymes, so it's in the Bible. Verse six, 
He says, having then gifts differ. And here he says, if we don't get it by this point, we have just the cheese has slid off our sandwich. Because he says it again. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. You know why he says that a lot? Because we need to hear it a lot. Because we have to constantly be reminded, we're not the quarterback in this game. We're not. And he goes on and he says in verse number 6, he says, uh, according to that grace that is given to us, let us use them. You say, well, what if I fail? <laughs> Join the club, all right? We'll, we'll get, I mean, who hasn't failed in their attempts to minister within a local body? Who hasn't, and with all the best intentions of the world, sought to serve somebody in some way and then just absolutely jacked it up? Who has went with the most pure of intentions and the other person completely misjudged them? All of us should raise our hand in some way, to some level, and to some degree it's happened. But let me tell you this. Pure Grace Church will be for the worse off if you sit on your hands of your spiritual gifts. Because it's not a matter of... See, this is one of the misconceptions about spiritual gifts. One of the misconceptions about spiritual gifts is, is that they're so spontaneous, so uh, emotionally driven. Now, hang out with me here. Don't turn the light switch off that you can't control them and they have to happen in that moment or they don't ever happen at all. And it is not true. The spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. And you can purposely exercise your spiritual gift to someone else. It, you don't have to wait for it to be a moment where you're engaged in, so, in something so deeply. It may be the spirit. And here's the thing. As we grow in that gift, we're going to learn to listen to the spirit of God speak to us and tell us to exercise it rather than need to have that moment before we exercise it. I hope that makes sense. And I hope you understand the spirit I'm saying it in. My point being is this, is you're not going to be on a worship service Tuesday evening at Fusackley's with somebody that's struggling before you practice your spiritual gift. You know, we're not going to be able to sit in a church service and have a speaker work us up before the spiritual gift can occur. It has to be functional within the body of Christ, not only a specific gathering, but an individual ministry. And so he says, use it. Don't hold back on it. And when you release it, when you see something, well, I shouldn't say release because we're not the one that's a bad word, back that up. It's not the word release. When we submit to the Spirit's leading, when He works and we don't resist that, don't look across the aisle and envy it or judge it. Accept it for what it is. As long as it doesn't violate Scripture, we're good, right? He says, use it. You have, every one of you sitting in here today, Everyone, if you've been born again and you know for a fact you're a believer, you've got the Spirit of God in you. And the Spirit of God has given you, I can say on the authority of Scripture, at least one spiritual gift, Ronnie, at least one. All right? They got one. I think building crazy-looking front ends on a car should be a spiritual gift. And if it is, Ronnie wins that award. Goodness. And some of you don't get that, and that's all right. I enjoyed it. It's all that matters. I didn't edify the body in that one. Sorry. But everybody has at least one, at least one. You can't leave here this morning and say, I don't have it, it, quotation marks and it, because it's really a hymn, okay? I don't have a gift. Yes, you do. You have it. It's 
It's in you. If the Spirit of Christ lives in your body, the spiritual gift resides in you. More than likely, you probably have several. More than likely. But you have at least one. So use it. You say, I don't know what it is. Don't go looking for it. Go looking for the giver. Walk after the giver, and he is going to make known to you the gift. If you seek the gift, well, you're going to be in, a, in the midst of a, a Corinthians five-car wreck, just a mess, just a fiery bomb of, you know what I'm saying. Thank you, Doug. <laughs> <clears throat> now, as much as I'd like to get into some of these, I don't want to. We don't have time. But here's, here's what I want, to, I want to finish up with. Minister to the extent that you have been gifted, and that's it. That's it. Don't try to do any more, but definitely don't try to move away from doing any less. Just operate where you've been gifted. Don't worry about the gifts that somebody else has. I mean, we don't, I don't say worry about them like dismiss them, but I'm saying don't compare yourself. Say, man, I, I really wish I could raise somebody from the dead. Well... I bet some dead people maybe wish you could too, but <laughs> nonetheless, there are plenty of spiritual gifts in there that are going to help the living that are standing around you, is my point. Here's another thing to, to, to leave off with. So ministers to the extent that you've been given, and that's it, and that's all. The other one is ministry is be, to be practiced towards others. That's why we call it ministry. See, what, what did the Corinthians do? They were like, hey, guys, watch this. And then, boom, you know. And everybody was like, what a jerk. You know, and that's, that's just how it went down. That was the Buddy Revised Standard Greek version that I just quoted to you. But your ministry is to be practiced towards others. All right? When the Holy Spirit moves you, he's not going to move you to edify yourself. He's going to move you to edify, build up is what the word it means. Build up other people. Coincidentally enough, that's exactly what the gospel does. When the person receives the gospel of Jesus Christ, he literally moves them out of a place of darkness and puts them into a place of light. You see, spiritual gifts make no sense if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. They make no sense. Mind you this, that all these things we're talking about are a part of the gospel, but they're not the gospel. The gospel is the death of Jesus Christ for every sin that you know about, have forgotten about, or don't even realize that you're committing, that has put you in a position to where the God of the universe, you are completely separated and alienated from him in every feasible way that you could possibly imagine. There is no chance whatsoever that by any work of your own righteousness you could ever merit one minuscule favor of God based of your works. None. See, the gospel is that while you were in that hopeless state, Jesus Christ came to the earth and lived as you were designed to live. He kept the law. He was perfect in every way. And he allowed himself to be crucified, beaten, put in a tomb, and rose again three days later of his own volition by the plan of God and by the indwelling spirit of God. Jesus Christ came back from the dead for this reason. That's how separated from God you are. It wasn't good enough for God to give us a plan. He had to be the plan. Not only did he look at where we were at, but he did not leave us where we were at. And if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, 
the only gift you need to be worried about is the gift of forgiveness that comes through Christ alone, which is also a gift of grace, not by your works. Because we as believers are life receivers, we can be life givers. And God has uniquely gifted and placed you where he wants you for the profit of all. Let's have a word of prayer uh, before we uh, finish up. I appreciate your attention. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you for the gospel, for it's everything. We have nothing. We have no rack to hang our hat on outside of the grace of God, zero. Um, We gladly depend on that. We willingly cast our hope on it. Um, We're secure in that as we come into this relationship with Christ, through the grace of God, you keep us, and that we are no longer intimidated by you, but we are called sons and daughters, uh, we're called heirs, uh, we're called loved, and Lord, you've given us the Spirit of God that we might know exactly who you are on a regular basis. So I pray for us as a church that as we move forward, we move forward open to what the gospel is and to what the Spirit of God wants to do in us as a result of your finished work. We thank you that it's done and that you're not doing it, but you've completed and that we operated from a completed work. And so we pray if there's anyone among us that doesn't know Christ as our Savior, I, be, I pray, Lord, that uh, today will be that day that, that that sin problem that they have is resolved by your grace, your love, and your goodness through the death of Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.